everyone. My name is John Edwards, and I am Stan Zeke Baker tonight, but together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. And before we get started, we have an extra special guest here in the studio, and that is Joyce Nethery from Jephthah Creed. Thank you so much for coming. Say hi there. Hey, hi, how how you all doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm I'm better with you here bringing some whiskey. I know everything's better with whiskey, especially bourbon. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I I am excited to talk about your bourbon, talk about your distillery. I have a couple of administrative items I need to get through real quick. If you can hang on with me for one second. Absolutely. The dads, we are going to be at the Bacon and Barrel Festival on September 27th here in Nashville at the Green Door Gourmet. There are going to be over 20 restaurants making something that is pork or bacon inspired and something over like 40 or 50 different whiskeys to try. It's going to be a great night. Zeke and I are going to be there. You know we're going to do something awesome. So make sure to go to baconandbarrel.com. That's baconandbarrel.com. It is to benefit all of Nashville's parks and green spaces, all that good stuff. So drink for a good cause, drink for our parks, eat some uh, bacon and pork for our parks. And I know that we're going to get something from McCormick Grillmates. They're going to come make some special bacon for us. It's going to be awesome. We'd love to see you all there. Make sure to get your tickets, baconandbarrel.com. Also want to let you know that we are sponsored by our good friends at cascartel.com. Now, cascartel.com is one of those places. It's like the Amazon of the spirits industry. They're not actually selling you the liquor, but they are making sure that they connect you with people that are selling it to you. They know that shipping is always a pain in the butt. They're always having specials on on shipping deals, things like that. You're not going to go find a store pick, but you will find Smirnoff vodka, some good stuff. Uh, your good, your good bourbons, your good tequilas, your good vodkas. You know, you can get it, and it's convenient because it's shipped right to your door. That's the thing about them. It's going to be one of those things where you could sit at home, you could be using one thumb on your iPhone or on your Android. And, you go to cascartel.com and you, you order your, your booze. And a couple days later, it's going to be right there at your door for you. It's convenience where you need it, cascartel.com. Check them out. Follow them on Instagram because they are sometimes giving away samples. We have another one from them that we need to be reviewing for all of you. But they will give their Instagram followers samples of some stuff that they have in stock. Last month was Blood Oath number five. This month is going to be the David Nicholson Reserve. So they are giving away some good bourbon and some good whiskey that they have on their site that you can have shipped right to your door. So cascartel.com, check them out. They are changing the industry standard. Joyce, I'm sorry for making you sit through all that. Oh, no problem. You sat there so nice and so quiet. (laughs) I'm sitting there the whole time going like, oh, man, I got to do the ads in front uh, of Joyce. I was thinking about that uh, bacon and barrels. Like, that sounds awesome. I, are you guys going to be there? Or, or is Jeff the Creed going to be one of the... I'm going to check it out and find out. We'd love to on. be there. So as of right now, I don't see you guys on the website for bacon and barrel. Well, I'm going to get that corrected. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. I hope you come back. But the food here... <laughs> 
I feel bad we're still talking about this, but Martin's Barbecue, Southern Spoon, Nashville Jam, 51 North Tap Room, Steak Nashville, Char Restaurant, Green Door Gourmet, Tom and Chi, Goo Goo Cluster. Yum. Shake Shack. That sounds interesting. Have you ever Shake Shack started in New York City? I've heard of it. Is is that a barbecue? No, it's burgers oh, and okay. milkshakes. Sounds good. I, I'm like so excited now. Gino's <laughs> East of Chicago, like that's all the pizza. pizza. Yeah. Yum. If you think about the food that's going to be there, that is crazy. Sorry, I digress. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun. Thank you so much again for coming. Now, we're talking, this This is the first, Zeke and I had the Bloody Butcher Corn Straight Bourbon Whiskey. It's a four-grain whiskey. It's your baby. It's my baby. It's something that took you six years to Absolutely. actually make. Yeah. But let's go further back than that. Okay. Now, I know your husband bought the farm. Mm-hmm. A long, long time ago. He bought the farm. He was one of the youngest farmers in Kentucky at the at the beginning. And he bought the first piece of property when he was 18. So oh, he man. has been farming his whole entire life. Can you help me explain to my family that having a farm isn't the worst thing in the world? Because I want like 15 acres. That's my dream. And now I get told from everybody is like, well, who's going to mow the lawn? And I'm like, well, I only need to mow like two acres of it. And then you maybe even an acre, but then you get the people to come pick the hay up for you, right? Well, yeah, you could use the rest of it as, as hay. That could work. <laughs> I, I feel like you're giving me the same look that lots of people in my <laughs> life give me. So thanks. <laughs> No, living on land and having property is great. It is such a a pleasure for us. And our passion really derives from the land. It derives from the soil. And um, that's really where we got started is is our bourbon and our our love for the bourbon really derives from our love for the soil and for Kentucky culture and Kentucky Kentucky history. So your your husband had the farm, but where did you grow up? Well, I grew up... Um, in Shelby County, uh, we had 30 acres, so uh, we were like weekend farmers. We, we grew tobacco, we had corn, uh, we did hay, square bales. I had to pick up those square bales and get your arms all scratched up. Um, it saves you on a gym membership. Yeah, I didn't have to go running then. <laughs> I was slim and trim at that point. Yeah, so that's how I grew up, kind of close in Shelby County. And my husband grew up uh, as a dairy farmer. And um, working 365 days a year, milking milking cows twice a day, even Christmas Day. And uh, along with all the other work, all the hay, all the corn, all those other pieces that you have to grow to sustain the, the cattle. But a lot of things that would be the cornerstone of what bourbon and whiskey is. So, you know, dealing with the corn, making sure that the animals have the hay that the ground is fertile, that you're actually growing the corn and everything is the circle of life. And Absolutely. And Q Elton John and <laughs> all, all that yeah. fun stuff. But growing up in Shelby County, I have to think that bourbon was something that everybody kind of knew, like in your family, right? Right. Bourbon was always there and um, it was always a part of, of the culture and was always around and um 
at first, you know, I didn't appreciate it. You know, just growing up right there is like, well, oh yeah, obviously there's bourbon. But <laughs> <laughs> but as uh, we, we started looking at this business, it was like, yeah, bourbon, that's that's our thing. Yeah. We love it. That, that, that needs to be what we want to do. So he had the farm and then the farm became your farm. Did you split out? I mean, was it something that you all were thinking, what do we do with all this corn? Because you sell some. If you don't sell some, it's going to go bad. It's like, are you, are you thinking in that way? Or is it one of those things where it was a passion? I mean, was it purely a financial decision? Was it a passion decision? Oh, no, we, we didn't make a financial decision to do this. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I kind of knew that. I was leading <laughs> you with the question. but Yeah. No, the, the passion really was... We had a dairy of our own for a while, and when the feed bill exceeded the revenue from the milk, I'm like, this has got to stop. <laughs> we cannot yeah. continue to do this. But we managed, we kept the farm. So we stayed on the land. We, we kept some of the cows. We still have chickens. We still have um, some cattle. We still have pigs. We have buffalo. You know, we still have all those agricultural pieces along with the land and the tractors and um, corn planters and just, you know, everything it takes to to have the farm. So we we kept I, all those pieces. You I, could, you're welcome to come and work yeah. and we'll put you to work for sure. Can I like have weekend farm camp? Absolutely. <laughs> go up and work <laughs> on the farm because I'm in. We'll have you sweating and, and oh, doing that's all kinds easy. of stuff. I take a step and I sweat. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is when you're my size, you just sweat. But <laughs> what... um. Is, is it almost ironic, and everybody's going to be like, get to the bourbon questions, but it's almost ironic because the byproduct with you know, creating mash is that you would then have the feed for the cows. Yeah, the spent grains. So is there any talk about bringing back the dairy side of it? Now that Absolutely not. Nope. <laughs> no dairy. You just didn't no. like it? or Oh, no. Well, 365 days a year milking cows was not the best thing um what and my husband i've asked him you know several times i said do you miss the dairy and the only piece he really misses is the cows because the cows you know you get to know him personally and he would talk about the cows come up and lick him on the face and <laughs> he misses that part uh the 365 days twice a day you know no we don't miss that part oh well that's i, I was just thinking i'm like man i bet your feed bill would not exceed the milk no that would certainly that would certainly help the process yeah. but we do still have cows and pigs so we do take the spent grains and feed them back to our, our cattle and, and pigs that we have now which is typical i mean i know a lot of distilleries will actually take that spent grain either give it or sell it back to the the farmers in the area and everything kind of starts again and and uh we go through the circle as we already, I won't reuse the joke, but. Well, we talk about that a lot. We have this corn cycle while as part of our tour. We talk about the corn and we talk about our corn cycle. So we, we talk about how we, with the corn that we have, it's open pollinated. So that means that each kernel on the cob is a seed and we get to save the seeds over the winter plant them back the following spring and get the same exact corn again. So when we talk about our hashtag ground to glass, what we mean is we put the seed that we've saved in the ground and then we control the process all the way to the glass. You see a lot of people go grain to glass. 
Ground to glass. Ground to glass. Yeah. Because then we continue the process, like we were talking about, to the cows. The spent grains go to the cows and to the pigs. And on our corn cycle wall, we we have a picture of a cow with a pile of manure right behind it. (laughs) And so we nourish the soil back either through the uh, manure of the animals that eat the spent grains, or we're working on some composting techniques to compost the grain and put it back into the soil. So we're, we're nourishing the soil back with our spent grains. So it's, it is a beautiful corn cycle, a beautiful cycle. It's everything, right? It's beautiful, but it, it's efficiency. I mean, you know, as a project manager and an IT guy, I love it because I look at it, I'm like, everything is efficient. Everything has a purpose. There's no processes in that cycle that have no value add to any other process that's going on it. It's it's a process engineer, project manager's dream looking at like the corn cycle. Yeah, it's great. I kind of think about it like we're using all the parts of the of the corn. We're using all the parts of that seed, kind of like um, the the farm to table movement, where a lot of butchers and chefs are trying to use all the parts of the animal so that nothing goes to waste. It's kind of the same thing. We're just applying it here in our spirits. Yeah. So you talked about the move from dairy to the distillery, and this is not something that happens overnight. No. So this has been six years to get us to May, where you released finally your four-grain Bloody Butcher Corn straight bourbon whiskey. But before then, you decided you were going to do a distillery. Obviously, some of the laws are a little bit easier in Kentucky at that time than they were in Tennessee. We've talked to a lot of people here that have gone through and had to change laws before they could even begin distilling. We did our share of it too. So you had to do it as well? Yes. What what happened to you all? Well, the location that uh, we're located at right now is actually in the city of Shelbyville, Kentucky, because the county where we are is dry, or not now, but was when we were building, dry. So we wouldn't be able to have tastings. We wouldn't have been able to sell our products. I'm like, well, that doesn't fit our business model. So we had to be in a wet area. So uh, the location that we were at is beautiful and perfect, uh, but it, it worked out from the standpoint that it was annexable into the city of Shelbyville. So we had to go through the process of requesting annexation, going through all the different you know readings of the uh, ordinance changes, and um, working with both the city and the county, working with the city to get us in and working with the county to let us out. <laughs> so it was, it was an ordeal. So at that time, I find that kind of interesting because it's tough. Yeah, you it's know? not easy. It's not a, It's not an obvious thing. So you're at all the ordinance meetings. The, the question I would have for you, unlike some of these other places, at least down here in Tennessee, they actually had to change the law so they could distill. But at that time, were you still working on building the distillery? Like you just had, you knew you had to annex back into Shelbyville. Were you still like, okay, well, we can do a parallel path. We can build the distillery while we're going through all this other stuff. Or was it just like, hey, we got to wait and even see if this is a viable option before we start building? No, we bought the property with the contingency that it got annexed into the city before we purchased it to start to build. Okay, no. so yeah. you kind of had that, like, yep. you're like, it's Kind of held it over their heads for a little bit. <laughs> you know, because that, that's time, right? And everything about whiskey is time. From the time that you take to to grow the grain, 
to distill the grain to then put it in a barrel and wait. That's all time. And if you're taking all that revenue away from your cows and putting it on corn, you need that to pay off sooner rather than later, right? Yeah, the the payoff piece is something that we're really looking forward to, you know. <laughs> and and it's still, you know, you guys just released this in May. You release your own distillate in May. So it's not like it happens overnight. It's not like, oh, woohoo, we released. Now we're back in the black. Yeah. You know? like, no, it takes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a little bit. So you annex into Shelbyville. You start, what year was that that you're like, all right, this is it. We're doing it. Um, really, the, the starting point for us saying, yes, we're doing it was in January of 2013. Because the distillery itself was actually my husband's idea. And he, you know, like I just said, he, he grew up as a dairy farmer. And um, there was a point where we had a dairy of our own and we stopped and then he did other things and then we started our own businesses and he thought the distillery was going to be a fabulous idea. And I guess as further background, my background is in chemical engineering and I have a master's degree in chemical engineering from the Red School, University of Louisville, a speed scientific school. And he thought, it, my husband thought the distillery Go was, <laughs> no cards. <laughs> and uh, he thought the distillery was going to be a fabulous idea. And I thought it was crazy. And did you know that it was going to be one of those things where he's like, honey, I have this great idea, but you're going to do the lion's share of the work. You're going to distill everything. He never said that. <laughs> <laughs> but... Because I thought it was crazy, he he kept on talking about it, and I got to the point where, because he's like actually the true entrepreneur between the two of us, and I got to the point where it's like, oh no, he's going to do this thing. So I found him a five day distillers course at Moonshine University, and I got him signed up for it. But then he couldn't go, so I went. You're like, it, it's not <laughs> a cheap class. No, I'd already paid for it. So I went and I fell back in love with my engineering and I fell back in love with copper. But the most important piece that came out of that class was the concept of ground to glass. That with my husband's agricultural expertise, we could grow our own heirloom varietal of corn. With my engineering, we could distill it and make a beautiful bourbon product. So that is, is what I consider to be the starting point when I caught the vision and got on board. And that was in January of 2013. So obviously you, you have a chemical engineering background. You, you have a background that a lot of us would kill for, but you probably needed to still go shadow people and figure out the whole distilling side of it. So who'd you go to? Who'd you seek counsel from as you were getting into the, the distilling side of it? Well, my background as a chemical engineer actually had me working uh, in the chemical industry uh, for a company called Roman Haas, which is now part of, part of Dow. And um, I was in the distillation unit, distilling oh. methyl methacrylate, which is a founding monomer for lots of different plastics and plastics additives. And um, so I gained a lot of you know knowledge on distillation and distillation skills and techniques there. And what I've found over time is if I'm distilling MMA for plastic or if I'm distilling ethanol for bourbon, those principles and applications and techniques are very, very similar. 
Do you have to make cuts yes. when you're making the plastic? Yeah, there's cuts in in making MMA. So like you take the hearts and the tails out for... Well, we don't call them hearts and tails. <laughs> no, but I mean, you essentially have to do some, some cuts in your run? Yeah, yeah. There, there's pieces there. Of course, the MMA was a column still. Um, as, yeah. as you would expect it to yeah. be. So I have a column still also for my bourbon. If you're anybody who's getting out a considerable amount of bourbon, you're going to eventually need, I mean, I call that preparation. You're like, the only way I can get multiple states and get enough whiskey out to all these people is I have to be using a column still too. It's very efficient. It goes smoothly and I think it makes a beautiful product. You have this background that those of us would kill for. You, You start in on this but as we know from when the butcher corn or the bloody butcher corn whiskey got sent to us earlier Mm -hmm. this was something that you were still figuring grains out for two years after your kind of you know so fast forward it's like all right i have this background did moonshine you executive bourbon steward but you did that cool little five-day course opposed to the uh the online course that most of us could only afford so <laughs> you move forward and now you're like, all right, I have to pick a mash bill. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of? I mean, you knew you had corn, you knew you had, had rye, you knew you had barley, but you decided to go four grain and then there's this whole red corn thing. So what was, I know the story, we already told the story on the air but I would much rather hear it from you as to how you guys came about the red corn over the yellow or white and how you picked your mash bill. Yeah, well, the red corn really came about from my uh, my desire for a an, uh, good-tasting tomato. Ooh. Yeah, I uh, wanted a good-tasting tomato, the kind I remember growing up where you just go into the garden and, and pick the tomato and, and eat it before you even get out, get out of the garden. So I started a garden, and I grew the hybrid varieties of tomatoes, and those were neat and tidy plants and beautiful tomatoes, but they didn't taste that good. Huh. And it's like it wasn't much better than what you got at the grocery store, so I'm like, well, that was not very worthwhile. So the next year, I tried the uh, indeterminate varietals, those heirloom varietals, and oh, they tasted so good. They were, the plants were ugly, and sometimes the tomatoes were ugly, and there were weird colors. Like you'd get orange, and you have white, and you know, all these different weird colors. But the tomatoes tasted so good that I then then branched out into other vegetables and tried watermelon, and I grew an orange watermelon that was fantastic. An orange. Orange. Watermelon. It was orange on the inside. It's called Orange Glow. Fantastic. Do you do this every year? No, I can't quite keep it, keep that all up. <laughs> but it was so good. So I, all these different vegetables I tried, and I found bloody butcher corn from people who were growing it for their own cornbread use because it makes fabulous cornbread. So I thought, well, if it makes good cornbread, it can make good bourbon also. So I started down that path, and that first year, right after the Moonshine U class, we planted 20 acres of the Bloody Butcher corn in a field next to a field of non-GMO yellow. And non-GMO yellow has grown a lot where we are for the big guys, yeah, wild turkey and all those guys. And in between us having our own dairy and now the distillery, our home farm had become a giant food plot for white-tailed deer. Big antler deer opening day of deer season was the mission. 
it's still part of our mission. So for fun and entertainment, we go out and watch the deer and the turkey. And we'd watch them go through the yellow to get to my bloody butcher field to eat. So it was the deer and the turkey that liked the corn. Yes. Because that, I think, was a little bit... I mean, I'm trying to remember back into May, and I can't remember two hours ago. For some reason, I thought the birds liked the red corn. But birds like it, too. I could have been wrong. I was like, was it the birds that were getting after it? Or But now I know there's deer going after it with turkey. It's good stuff. Yes, absolutely. So... We gathered up with the deer left us that year and took it to a distillery in Wisconsin. Uh, that's where I could find open distillation capacity at the time. And we did four bourbon batches. Um, we did bloody butcher corn with wheat, bloody butcher corn with the rye, and then I, my controls because the engineer in me kicked in. So I did the non-GMO yellow with wheat and the non-GMO yellow with rye. Look at you going like whole scientific method on this. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, as you are, as you are. It stays with you. It never leaves. Yeah. It never leaves. So going up there, it was our thought that Jep the Cree would have one bourbon and that it'd be the multi, probably a multi-grain bourbon. Uh, We did those batches and the Bloody Butcher batches were just fabulous and we loved them. They were so smooth and the nose was awesome. Even at this point, it's just new make. We thought we got something. The Bloody Butcher corn is truly, truly distinctive. And then we, like you said, we needed a bourbon mash bill. So um, the first batch that came off the still was the bloody butcher corn with the wheat, and it was malted wheat. And I loved it. It was so good. And I'm like, how lucky can I be that the very first batch coming off is perfect? And you just, then you learned it takes a little bit longer for wheat to lay in a barrel than everything else. Yeah, yeah. So that's, it's holding back, aging longer now. Uh, the second day, the Bloody Witcher corn with the rye came off the still. And my husband loved it. <laughs> He's like, no, our bourbon can't be the wheat. It needs to be the rye. And I'm like, nuh <laughs> You're like, well, if you went to that class, <laughs> yeah. you could have been making these decisions. We need the wheat. So we actually ended that experiment with Jep the Crete ultimately having three bourbons. The high wheat for me, high rye for him. For grain that we really kind of envisioned in the first place. So the four grain is out, and that's what we're getting to enjoy today. Anytime anybody brings whiskey for us to drink when they come <laughs> in the studio, we know it's going to be a good... You've already won us over that way. Talking about this, and, and uh, it's so sweet on the nose. And I think that's the thing that sets it apart. But it's a different type of sweet than what mm-hmm. most people are accustomed to. It's it's not... We reviewed this already, so I'm going to give the, the Cliff's Notes version here. But it's the nose is appealing. I could sit there and just... It's like candy, but it it's not... It's like a funky candy, too, where the, the corn really... Uh, I, I don't get the youth on the nose like I would in some other stuff i'm not getting the astringent i'm not getting any of those citrus notes that i normally get from youth i think it was one of these things where and i'm going to double check again (laughs) gotta have another taste i think there's still a little bit of that youthful exuberance on the on the taste Mm -hmm. and i'm going to say it that way where you know you know it's it's a two-year but that sweetness and that other stuff is there and before we started recording I, i mean 
I still really like this at two years, but it's one of those ones where you're like, all right, the pimples are going to clear up by the time it gets to four years. And you said, you know, your, your goal is to, I'm still happy having a pour of this right now. I'm very proud of it right now too. But I think it's one of those things that in your mind, you have been around this long enough to know how whiskey works and and how all this aging stuff works. And you can taste it and you're going like, all right, well, shoot, we need to put something out. It's been six years. You know, and, and, and that's another thing that I was going to get into with you, and I'll wait until we kind of get through this section, but you didn't source. I mean, you, you went and contract distilled a, a run. Yeah, you know, one, get, as get an, one experiment, yeah. But you didn't source. You didn't go ahead. I mean, you have vodka, mm-hmm. but you didn't extensively go through the clear liquid to keep things afloat, you know, um, and the other things that, that some distilleries do to get some revenue going. See, so it needed something, right? Like the cows were done. They weren't making milk anymore. Oh, no. Cows were, cows were gone. Like I understand putting it out at two years, and, and I'm not knocking you for that at all. But I think as the, the distiller, you have to be sitting there going, if it's this good now, I've got something awesome coming. And I know in a couple of years, and it's like, okay, yeah, guys, if you're out there and you're listening and you're not, there are some people that I know that really hate young whiskey. This is probably not for you yet. If you get that little bit of citrus in there and you go, oh man, this is not my jam, just hold on because I think that red corn is doing something special. And there's different stuff out there right now. You know, some people are using malt more than than others. Some people are, I appreciate, number one, and I swear I'm going to have you do a lot more of the talking here soon, but I appreciate, number one, the fact that you guys aren't willing to just stay with the status quo and do what everybody else is doing. Because... A lot of people try to out Jim Beam, Jim Beam, and and uh, out yeah. Heaven Hill, Heaven Hill. I did like, not want to be a copycat. No. I mean, they do beautiful products, and I, I totally love and respect everything that they're doing. But I wanted us to be unique. I wanted us to be distinct, and and I did not want to be a copycat. So um, we made the decision early on that we were going to use the heirloom corn and not source, and that our, our bourbon and our products are going to be what we've distilled ourselves and aged ourselves at, at, at the distillery. And I'm very, very proud with what we have coming out. And what you have, it's 98 proof mm-hmm. at the end of the day, 49% ABV. It's two years, three months. But the, the grains on it, you know, so you said you had to come up with a mash bill. Yes. So what did you end up deciding on? Well, what we ended up deciding on is that we would have three bourbons, ultimately. Oh, no, no. Well, no, yeah. you said that. But the mash yeah. bill for... For the four grain. For the four grain. Is, it is 70% bloody butcher corn. It is 15% malted rye. It is 10% malted wheat and 5% malted barley. So you did kind of both. Right. And I, I knew this from the show. I knew I wanted to bring this up because you not only did Bloody Butcher Corn, but you also put in there a lot of malt. And I think the malt can do a good job at kind of hiding the age as well. 
Chattanooga just came out with their their 91 and their 111 in Tennessee. It's you can't tell. It's it's young. Like you can't tell the two and a half years. One of them, they Solera barrel, which is oh, the 91, yeah. and then the 111 is is more of a single barrel, but like old elk. Now it's a little bit older, four to five, six years old, but it it's a high malt as well. There's 33 percent malted barley. Oh wow! In that one, it's, it's 32, 33 something in there, but it's it's high. I think it's your way of pushing the envelope, and I appreciate that. It really derived for us from that experiment that I talked about. I'm going to say like a divine screw up. <laughs> <laughs> That's how most people, everybody I talk to. It's like one thing, it's like, hey, well, this barrel fell over and it was in January instead of August. And I realized it was better to bottle our stuff in January. You know, like it's all weird stuff like that. Well, the uh, grains that got ordered for our experiment up there, I don't know where it got messed up, but it was rather than the, the raw rye and raw wheat the malted grains were delivered and we're up there, you know, it's snowing, it's February of 2014 and we're in Wisconsin. So it's cold and it's nasty. And it's like, we have to do this. You know, I've got the time. We've got to do it. Let's use those malted grains and absolutely loved the result. And we knew that it made a difference. The bloody butcher corn actually made a difference, not just the malted grains, but the bloody butcher corn It also makes a significant difference because of my controls, the non-GMO yellow, also had the malted grains. The malted grains was consistent across both, so I knew the bloody butcher was making a difference also. So did the deer and the turkey. Yeah. Yeah. The, the wildlife told us. We call that the critter share. I almost spit up my water. <laughs> that, I like that. Yeah. You cut a duck too. You're like, oh, this might be coming. I gotta stop. <laughs> the critter share. The critter share. Oh, I love it. I love it. You you guys should make some shirts. Yeah, that's a good idea. That say the critter share. Yeah, have a deer and a turkey on there and critter share. I yeah. love it. Oh, it's great. It'd be really good. I think a lot of people have said some good stuff about this, though. And everywhere you go, what's the reception like now that you guys are kind of on the road? I know your daughter, Autumn, was down here Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago at Southern Whiskey Society. But then a couple days later, we were at the Bourbon Social at Franklin Wine Spirits. But what's the reception been like for everybody that has been tasting it? Oh, I think everybody, you know, vast majority of everybody's really enjoying it, really like it, uh, really taste the distinctiveness of it and how it's it's different and unique and just really appreciating the, the differences in it because it is sweet on the nose. I think um, the corn itself actually has some maltose in it rather than just sucrose. So uh, there's some different flavors in that flavor profile that we get in our distillate and it's showing in in our product. And I think we got a lot of really good color here too. You know, this is a beautiful color for two. Yeah. I think everybody just really appreciates it. And the funny thing is we never really talk about color. I think when people sit there and they go like, well, it's got amber with it. I'm like, it looks like bourbon to me. (laughs) And Unless it is really, really light or really, really dark, we won't really talk about color too much. So the fact that I am not bringing up the color means that it looks like bourbon to me. And <laughs> there's no, it's like highlights for children. Is there anything that looks like it doesn't belong? 
And if so, we'll mention that. But other than that, it's like, all right, you did your job. You yes. distilled stuff and put it in a barrel and it came out looking like bourbon. Yes. You said there's a wheat coming and there's also a high rye coming, right? Yes, right. When are you expecting those to be released? Well, those I've, we're holding back and letting them age longer. Um, our thought is that we're going to let those age to at least bottle and bond age. So a total of four years, so another two years in the barrel. And um, we'll be coming out with them probably in that time frame. Another so two about years. Two years from now. Yeah, another two years. That's also when I'm envisioning starting a um, actual barrel pick program. So we don't have a, a barrel pick going on yet, but we will probably when we hit that four age, four year age. I can tell you, I know about five to eight stores here in Nashville that would like to get their name on your list for when you do barrel picks. I, I think there's about five I can just boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I, I know without even having to call them that they'd love to do a barrel pick with you. But so that that's got to be hopeful. You know that you're going to have places like that and private groups come in. They're going to spread the word. Just if you can get like a, a flat area, this is a very ornate bottle and it's beautiful. You know, you get the, the Celtic Trinity mm -hmm. on there. You got some other stuff going on. Yeah, we got a lot of family genealogy in that bottle. If you are going to let them do an aftermarket sticker, maybe you just need to think of an area that's going to be pretty flat so that, you know, right now there's this little bit of space on the back, y'all, that when when you're in a group and you want to do an aftermarket sticker, they have the the label doesn't actually go all the way around in a circle. But I think it would be funny to have a distillery do something where it's like um, you do a dotted line. And so say you had the label continue all the way to the back and it says place sticker here. Oh, okay. Like where, you know, cause you know how all these groups are doing stickers. Have you, you seen yeah, that? Yeah, I've seen that. So if you start doing a pick program, just make sure you have a good flat space somewhere for the group to put a sticker on. Well, I think uh, we saved that spot there on the back that we can do a whole lot with. Yeah, expand it, it out a little bit if you can. You everybody know? has the different shapes of stickers that they're using. So we got this little space here in between the tree trunk roots on each side that we could do some small with, too. Oh, that's where you could put, like, your selected by. Yeah. So and we can make it a really cool shape, too. Oh, yeah. That kind of looks like a tree root going down there. That'd it is. That'd be really good. Yeah. That's what it is. So um, we're very much about uh, our Scottish background. So that's why we got the Celtic Trinity on there. But this is actually tree roots. So this is a tree of life. So we got the tree roots down here uh, tying us to the past. Then we have the branches. These are tree branches up here at the top reaching out to the future. And then the center here where the label is, is that's the present. That's the trunk of the tree oh. where we are right now in the present. I'm just a wee clumped. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have much to say. It's it's good. Because one other thing about the bottle is we have Ne Uble etched here into the bottom. So that's a family motto, which means don't forget. Ooh. And when, Scott, when Autumn went to Scotland and studied over there, uh, she found the family motto in Crest. And, and the motto is Ne Uble, which is ancient Scottish Celtic for don't forget. And um, when she called home and told my husband about it, he got literal goosebumps because he can remember his great-grandfather talking to him and saying, now, boy, don't you forget where you come from. 
<laughs> so, you know, that was a family value that had come up through the generations, even though the, the crest was still over there in Scotland. So we find that to be very powerful and we included that Neuble there into the bottom of our bottle. So you can Neuble and not forget to get your next bottle. <laughs> I appreciate that, though, as you, know, you see things on here and you're just like, oh, yeah, they put... If I haven't had this conversation with you and if a listener hadn't been listening, I would look at that and go, yeah, I mean, that bottle's super cool. It's like branches. Cool. A little bit more texture than what some of the other bottles are on the shelf. And when I grab it, I don't feel like I'm going to let go because there's these indentations here. It's almost like, you know, laces on a football, but hearing that it's the tree of life and it's the branches and Neuble and all of that fun stuff behind it. It's like you really put... And I think this is a current theme that I have with you and talking to you beforehand. And and now it's like you really put your heart and soul and there's passion, it's family, and it means enough to you that you're going so far to make sure the bottle is this way. And and I think regardless of whether or not people love or, or hate your whiskey at the end of the day, I yes. hope they all love it. <laughs> I mean, yes, that is what pays the bills is they have to love it so that they buy it and yeah. buy it again. <laughs> but I think everybody has to appreciate if you see this bottle, try it. Okay, if it's not for you right now, whatever. If it is for you right now, even better. But no matter what, the the amount of love and care and passion and devotion that you have to your craft it's completely evident in this bottle and that no matter what is worth a taste from everybody to figure out on their own and i think too many times you see some stuff that comes out and you know a craft distillery will overprice their product and think really highly of it and say well, yeah, I put that out. Um, I mean, what's this going for right now? Uh, we have a suggested uh, market retail of $50. Which is a very, very fair price, which is why I wanted you to say that. And it's a, a very fair price. You know, you see some crafts coming out at 80 You see them coming out a little bit higher. This is something that $50, it's, it's absolutely worth a try. Go ahead and find it and say, hey, I love it. It's good stuff. Try it out first, but it's like when you turn something in, a project in school, Mm -hmm. and if you could tell who half-assed it just to get it in on time and who really worked their ass off to get an A, and I think you worked your ass off to get an A. I just want to say, again, I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you. No, no, I just speak. I just speak what's on my mind. Sometimes like that, that's a ramble that I'm going to have to cut down (laughs) in post. So if you're listening to this, the ramble that I just had was not as long as (laughs) it's not going to be as long in the final version as it really was. And Joyce was nice enough to sit here and just humor me. (laughs) She has a smile on her face. She's like, oh, he's talking again. No, I'm enjoying it. Um, That's awesome. Let's talk about the distillery itself. Okay. Because it is gorgeous. Like, when when you all reached out, I mean, Autumn and I had talked off and on for a couple years, you know, and I, I wanted to make sure that I did get you guys on. And everybody knows 
Alicia up there working for you. So you guys had been on my radar for a multitude of reasons. But when you look at the distillery, I was like, man, I wish I could find a way to go up and have this conversation at that distillery. That would be so much fun. Because you guys really went above and beyond when you were designing it. Tell everybody about what you did, because it's probably one of the prettiest stories in, in Kentucky. You know, going back to our inspiration, we are our passion really drives from the soil, from the land. And Kentucky, in addition to bourbon, is very well known for horses. And I actually grew up riding horses and quarter horses and did barrel racing and pole bending and some of those kind of things. So uh, horses oh, yeah. and horse barns, I love them. I love the smell. I love the smell of horses. So we were inspired to design the distillery to um, throw a nod to horses and the horse barns. So it's kind of a horse barn inspired facility. And then we also love like timber framing. So there's some timber framing going on inside the, the, the distillery too. And uh, as it was going up, a lot of people were looking at it and saying, well, what is that building going to be? And then some people would say it was going to be a church. I'm <laughs> like, well, we have spirits. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's about 15,000 square feet. Uh, we have some office, a little bit of office space and warehousing space, which you just absolutely have to have. And then we have a beautiful windows where the stills are. So we've got three stills. We have the column still for the bourbon. We have an additional still for the vodka and a hybrid uh, 500 gallon pot still with a thumper, make a lot of different spirits there with the, the pot still. And those you can see as you go down, because we're right on the interstate of I-64, and you can see us as you're driving down the road. So the windows are there. You can see the stills as you drive by. Beautiful, beautiful sight right there. And then we have a visitor experience side where we have our gift shop and our cocktail bar. Because one of those things that we talked about with the um, annexation of the distillery into the city of Shelbyville is some of the laws for Kentucky did change while we were in construction. And Kentucky passed SB 11, which allowed distilleries to get an NQ3 license, which allows us to have an actual cocktail bar. So we we changed our our plan a little bit while we were in the middle of construction and put in our, our cocktail bar. And then we have an event space. So we want, we knew from the beginning that we wanted to be, you know, a tourism destination spot. So we have an event space and a fabulous outdoor patio. Um, we also do what we call jamming at Jephthah every Friday night. Heck yeah. Yeah. It's so much fun. We have live music bands and we have food trucks come and hang out in the parking lot and cocktail bars are open and it's, it's so much fun. It's out usually during the winter. I mean, during the summer, it's outside and we have uh, cornhole and people bring their kids and they bring their dogs and it's just a fabulous time. That's the way to do it though. I, you know, why have a restaurant when you could just call a food truck to come in and then you don't have to worry about all the BS of like, I have to order this much food. Some of it's going to go bad. You're just like, hey, food truck, you come in. You worry about that. Like, yeah. We're, we make better margins off the drinks anyway. <laughs> well, we have enough people that it's worthwhile for the food trucks too. And it's just so much fun. And we do it all year round. Oh, that's hot. Yeah. Even better. So even when the weather gets cold, we just move it indoors. It's still fabulous. Did the food trucks still come? We reduced the number of food trucks, but the food trucks still come. 
That's all I care about is I need that food to go with the whiskey. And Maybe some I'm, bacon to go on there. You know? Yeah. Bacon, pork barrel inspired products. Um, where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? You know, like, cause that's how long it takes sometimes for whiskey to mature. Do you see you adding new product? Are there certain things that you want to explore and test out and use your your scientific method on? Oh yeah, there's several things. We've we want to use our ground to glass concept for anything that the Kentucky soil produces. And so we right now already have a pawpaw brandy that we have out. Oh. So made with, you know, native pawpaws. It's really, really good. We also have a bitters program that we're developing where we have black walnut bitters. We have a dandelion bitter and a strawberry ginger bitter uh, that we make with locally grown. I mean, for the dandelions, we literally went out and picked up, picked dandelions to put into the bitters. That's awesome. Yeah. And every other tree at the distillery is a black walnut tree. So we wanted to use those black walnuts and incorporated that into our, our black walnut bitters. So we got that going on now. Uh, for the future, I can see us branching out into maybe a sorghum. Can't call it rum, but a sorghum rum. Ooh. Looking forward to that. And possibly a gin. We're big yeah. fans of sorghum here in Nashville. So, yeah. you know, you it's go out to stuff. Loveless Cafe, you can put that on the biscuits. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. But I know I look like a guy who's put some sorghum on a lot of biscuits <laughs> as well as some blackberry jam. But. Don't let me stop you. What else are are you doing? Or is that about it? The sorghum rum or the... We will be doing anything that uh, really comes from the Kentucky soil, from our soil, from our land, that um, we can source locally. So anything that the market really wants to to have, that's that's where we're going to go and what we're going to do. That's great. I can't wait to see what else you're doing. And I think there, there has to be some time in the future that we reschedule because I, I would be interested to see, you know, as things age a little bit, maybe we can get up there and you can give me a little sneak peek of, of the wheat and the high rye. Absolutely. In the barrel. We got a really cool experience. Our, our barrel tasting experience is really, really awesome. So I'd love to have you come up and we can taste through the wheats and the ryes. And we also have a uh, red, white, and blue that we've done. Oh, Treaty Oak did one like that yeah. too. Yeah. Red corn, white corn, blue corn, bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really good. I'm I'm very excited about it. I can't wait. Now you're making me want to drive up to Shelbyville. It's easy. Come on up. It's not bad. If if I can just take some time away from the three, you know, from the three and a half year old. Well, you can bring her with you. I know. She loves road trips. <laughs> She really does. So it, it might be something where she's so good in the car. You would think we just came back from Florida. You would think being in the car for that long, she was great. So I lucked out. As she's gotten older, she's gotten better in the car. That's just, awesome. My my little buddy and I will make a road trip. Now, one thing I do have to say, and it's something for us that I try not to make a big deal about. I know Zeke doesn't try to make a big deal about because whiskey is the great equalizer. I have to bring this up just in the sense of right now, you know, with Pamela retiring and Marianne going to be a consultant, you are carrying the torch right now 
for women distillers in the state of Kentucky. And and I think Kentucky kind of needs to get its act together because Tennessee has, you know, two or three of them right now where Kentucky right now, I think, are you the, the, I'm the only female master distiller in Kentucky at the moment. I know. And I hate to bring it up because I think too many times someone will say, you know, whiskey is a man's thing or, you know, and when, when I have a woman on that is, as esteemed as you are, I don't want to sit there and call it out the whole time and be like, so what's it like being a woman in the whiskey industry? And I think the only way that you kind of really get more is when it's just treated as completely normal. For that reason alone, you are the only one. I think Elizabeth McCall is probably the closest one to probably get there and we're crossing our fingers. But if you are listening and you are a, a woman in college and you're in chemical engineering or you're in, in chemistry and anything and you're, you know, think about the bourbon industry. Think Absolutely. About the whiskey industry. We need more of you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When I was coming up through school and studying my chemical engineering, it never occurred to me to um, pursue the bourbon industry, but it's fabulous. There's lots of engineering that is needed in the bourbon industry. There's lots of places to apply those skills, and it's tons of fun, and it's so much fun. It's the place to be. I'm very jealous of your job, but you know, keep carrying that torch until more people show up with you and more women show up with you, and we love what you're doing up there. Keep it up, and uh, where can the folks find Jep the Creed? You're on, you know, you're in Shelbyville. Mm-hmm. You're on Facebook. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're also on Twitter and LinkedIn, and our website. Yeah. And how many states right now is the Bloody Butcher Corn four grain in? We are in three states right now. So we're in the Nashville, uh, Knoxville, and Chattanooga areas of Tennessee, and we're in all of Kentucky and Indiana. Oh, nice. Well, check out Jeff the Creed. Joyce, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. Before we leave, I want to let you know that all of our glassware for our tasting was provided by distilleryproducts.com. Used by most of the distilleries, it is the insider's choice. Get some wholesale pricing on great glasses. Visit distilleryproducts.com. Not only do they have Glencairns, they have the Irish Rua glass, They are the only wholesale glass producer that can put a logo on the neat glass. So check out distilleryproducts.com. They have some good stuff for you there. Great laser etching. Go ahead and find Dad's Drinking Bourbon at Dad's Drinking Bourbon on Facebook, Dad's Drinking Bourbon on Instagram, at Bourbon Dads on Twitter. Join our Facebook group, answer a couple questions. We will let you in. We would love to have you. You can find us on your favorite podcast app, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podknife, whatever it is, we are on it. Please leave us an open and honest review, just like we leave open and honest reviews for all the whiskey we drink. You can also find us here in Nashville, Tennessee. Let us know when you're in town. Give us a call. We'd love to meet up and share a pour. Joyce, one more time. This has been awesome. Thank Thank you you. so much. This has been a blast. I've really enjoyed this. Come back or we'll come up to you. I'd love it. Either way. Come on up. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.